So we're jumping right back into a series that we started last week that we're calling Love Our City. And, you know, we're not just talking about it, ladies and gentlemen. We're putting legs to this. Look, I can't speak for any other house of worship, and we celebrate what God is doing in every house. But we honestly, truly believe that if Jesus said we're the light of the world, then we got to shine that. We honestly believe, right, that if we are to be the salt of the earth, then we're the ones who have to step out and bring some seasoning, right? Right? Come on, where my adobo people, right? Where my sasong people, right? Where's my garlic powder people? See, you guys use all the fake stuff. You got to use the real stuff. No, let me But we got to be intentional about this, right? And so as you saw and as you heard last week, for those of you that were here, we are taking on our entire city. For July 17th through the 22nd, uh, every one of those days during the week, we're going to be doing several service projects throughout the entire community. And then on Saturday, the 22nd, we're going to culminate with a large event. We're pulling all the stops it's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. We're going to bring out the food truck. We're going to be serving people. We're going to be engaging with people. There's some partnerships that we're working on behind the scenes that are going to come to fruition. So you want to be a part of that. Why? Because we're commanded to love people. We're commanded to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And we have to do this, ladies and gentlemen. We can't just talk about it. Amen? Amen. Come on and give God some praise if you believe that. So last week, we began to look at this parable of the Good Samaritan. And we're going to be digging into it for the next couple of weeks. But this parable came in response to an interaction that Jesus had with a man. This man was a Jewish religious expert. What does that mean? This guy knew his stuff according to the law, right? He looked the part. He talked the part. He dressed the part. He taught it, right? He he, he prayed. He led people. And so this guy knew his stuff, quote, unquote. And he comes to Jesus, and he asks Jesus a question. He says, how do, I, how do I inherit this thing called eternal life? How do I become a part of the kingdom of God? How do I do this God's way? And Jesus asks him, well, how do you interpret the law? And he tells him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responds to him and says to him, you've answered correctly. So go do that. Go love your neighbor. And this man, thinking he was wise in his own understanding of the law, says to Jesus, who's my neighbor? And what we saw last week is that we cannot have part in God's kingdom without excelling in love for our neighbors. You see, this man had a distorted view and understanding of what it meant to love your neighbor. In the Jewish context, it meant love your fellow Jew, love your fellow countrymen. But Jesus introduces a parable that completely rocks this man's world, and it should rock our world. Let's dive back into this parable for context on what God wants to speak to us today. You ready? All right, so here we go. Luke, 10, chapter, Luke chapter 10, verse 30 says, a man was going down. From Jerusalem to Jericho. Get this. This is Jewish country. This is all Jewish country. So the ones that are supposed to fit in this story are Jewish people. And when he was attacked by robbers and they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Verse 31 goes on to say, I'm sorry, verse 31 goes on to say that a priest happened to be going down to the same road. And when he saw the man, watch what this guy does. He passed by 
on the other side. Deuces. Peace. I love you from a distance. Right? And so too a Levite. This is another Jewish religious person. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Verse 33, say this with me. But a who? A Samaritan. A Samaritan. But a Samaritan as he traveled came where the man was. So instead of passing him by, he draws near. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. This is not that ay bendito, you know, pity that, you know, you, us Hispanics have, right? This isn't like, oh, I feel so bad for you. Oh, let me just, let me just give you a little handout. The word pity here is the Greek word for compassion. And according to Jewish belief, compassion, that love comes from the deepest innermost part of our bowels and so this is a deep love this is a God kind of love and so he loves this man it goes on to say that he went to him and bandaged his wounds because of it he poured on oil and wine and then he put this man on his own donkey translation he put him in his caddy right he put him in his own do on, on his own donkey and he brought him to an end watch this and then he took care of him so he stood with him and then it goes on to say that the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. Now watch this man's intention. I'm not just going to help you in the moment. Watch what he says. And when I return, when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And so Jesus asked this religious Jewish leader of the law, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of robbers. And the expert, the scripture says, replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says this to him, but he also says this to us. Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Follow this example. Do this. Now, this story in and of itself was offensive. This was an affront. This was a slap in the face of this man and all the Jewish people that were hearing this interaction between Jesus and this man. Why do I say that? Because remember, Jesus is talking to a Jewish religious leader. And in this Jewish relig religious leader's understanding, the one that you're supposed to be a neighbor to is your fellow Jew. It's your fellow countrymen. And the reason why this is so offensive is because Jesus inserts into the story a sworn enemy of a Jewish person. He makes the hero the enemy. He inserts a Samaritan. Now, Samaritans and Jewish people in those days had nothing to do with each other. They, they, they degraded each other. They detested each other. They worshiped differently. They believed differently. They even thought that you're supposed to go to a different place when it came to it. So these people hated each other. Jews were known to refer to Samaritans as dead dogs. And trust me, Samaritans, they reciprocated in different ways. And so there was a lot of drama there. There was a lot of issues there. There was a lot of separation and division among them. And Jesus takes the enemy and puts him in there. And he says, this is the example I want to give you. Why is that such good news to us, friends? Because we're all the Samaritan. None of us belonged in God's story. And yet by his mercy and his grace, he's made us a part of his story so that he can establish 
his kingdom. Amen? Come on and give God praise for that. But let's dig a little bit deeper because Jesus wasn't just giving an example of what it means to love your neighbor. To love your neighbor with the same love that you have for God, by the way. Jesus was challenging this man's entire belief system. You know what Jesus was doing? He was addressing his bias. He was addressing his bias. Because in Jewish country, in a Jewish context, according to a Jewish belief system, as I already established, as we already established, the only person you're supposed to serve is your fellow countrymen. Which means Jesus wanted to get deeper, get this man to push beyond his biases. So today, I want to invite you not to consider my words, but I want you to consider with me the truth in the scriptures of God. Because the scriptures are the voice of God. I bring you no opinion. I simply want to invite each and every one of us to the word of God. My job is to facilitate a conversation between all of us and God's word. Amen? So today I want to talk to you on the topic, get over it. Get over it. Go ahead and tell three people you didn't come with, get over it. Get over it. Listen, get over it for you online. Get over it. Get over it. Get over it. You see, if we're going to love our city, if we're going to allow God to use us to love our neighbors wherever we are, Whatever workplace you go to, whatever neighborhood you live in, if we're going to love our city and we're going to be the hands and feet of God that make Jesus tangible and real, then we have to get over our biases. Now, the fact that this is recorded in Scripture denotes that this moment wasn't just intended to teach this man and touch his heart. The Bible says that all scripture is inspired by God. And it's useful to teach us, reprove us, correct us, instruct us. And thoroughly equip us for every good work. So you got to understand that this wasn't my idea. This is not man's idea. God said I have to record this so that they can understand that I'm also trying to teach them. And touch our hearts too in this regard. Why would God do that? Well, I'll tell you why God would do that. You ready for this one? We all have biases. We all have biases. Now, I know, you know, we don't, we, we don't really want to talk about that, but we have to. We have to. You see, I'll prove it to you. Isn't it true that some of us, maybe we choose relationships based on our bias? We choose the neighborhoods that we'll live in based on bias. Hey, here's where it gets real up close and personal. We choose churches based on bias. Right? Here's, here's, here's a real challenging one. But I know none of us here struggle with this. We choose who we'll love and sacrifice for based on bias. The problem is that bias stops us from seeing things the right way. Stops us from seeing things the way God sees them. I remember years ago, I'm going to tell on myself. 
And I'm going to tell on me, because certainly nobody here has ever dealt with this. But I remember many years ago, we were, we were in ministry at a very large ministry. We were youth pastors, and it was great. And then kind of God started tugging on my heart. And I think I've said this here before, but I'll assert it. The Holy Spirit sounds a lot like Pastor Annette. You see what I'm talking about? <laughs> Fellas, go ahead and give it up for godly women who hear God and, right? Hey, that's a gift. Proverbs 31 establishes that. So my wife started kind of talking to me about how, you know, what God was showing her. And I was feeling it, but I just didn't want to address it. And I finally realized, okay, it's time to move. But let me back up. Before we got to that point, eight years prior to that moment, this is important, we had just moved up from the city. We were living in New Windsor, and uh, I had to come switch my license over, my address. And uh, it was in the middle of a snowstorm. It was the only day that I could do it because the trains weren't running to the city, so I was stuck. So I drove down here, and as I'm coming up uh, 32 and make a right onto Broadway, I'm, I'm going to clue you into my bias for a moment. It was like I was back in the 1970s in Brooklyn. Right? On Evergreen and Decal. Right? For some of you, it may, maybe it looked like the Bronx back in the 70s. Right? And that's not, that's not a put down, but m my mind went there. And here was my prayer God, I didn't move up here for this. Mm -mm. As a matter of fact, here's how, here's, it wasn't even a prayer, it was a complaint. I said, Lord, I moved from this city so that my kids wouldn't have to go to schools like this. You mean to tell me that this is right in our backyard? That was my prayer. Get to DMV. When I leave DMV, it was like I had a new set of glasses on. And it wasn't like there were people outside. It was in the middle of a snowstorm. But I just saw the city differently in that moment. And as I'm driving back up Broadway, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, I, I got real Christian. I got real, real Christian. I said, God, you got to send somebody here because people need Jesus. Lord, send laborers. The harvest is ripe. The laborers are few. Send some laborers. And I felt a little tug in my heart that there was a reason why we were here. Anyway, fast forward. Eight plus years when ministry, another seven years after that, I'm sorry, another eight years after that moment, um, we were in ministry shortly after that. Eight years later, we're at this moment, the Lord's kind of showing us it's time to move, and I'm like, where are we going? And I remembered, remember that city I showed you? We started in our home, ended up in the Hudson Valley Hotel and Conference Center shortly thereafter, outgrew that, and we needed a new facility. We needed a place to accommodate our growth and what God was doing and what God had called us to, and I started looking for a place, but guess where I didn't look? I didn't look in the city of Newburgh. You would think, knowing what God had showed us, and after that experience, smack, 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 right? That I would get it. Well, I started looking on the fringes, and then I'm complaining to God one day, and I was dropping my, my, our nephew off at a camp here at the Boys and Girls Club, and I'm complaining to God, God, where are we supposed to go? We need space. And then that thought came back. Remember the city of Newburgh? 
And so I was actually driving in the city of Newburgh when I was about to go the back way through River Road to leave the city to go back to New Windsor where we used to live at that time. And I'm saying, Lord, if it's in the city of Newburgh, you're going to have to show me because I don't see it. But here was my bias kicking in again. The picture that I had in my head of a, establishing a house of faith to be influential, to serve this community, to reach people, to minister the love of God, did not look anything like what we encountered. I had a distorted view of what it was supposed to look like. And what I didn't realize in that moment was that it was limiting what God wanted to show me. Well, you know what? Thank God that God honors us and loves us and is patient and merciful with us. And he even tolerates a little stupid sometimes. I'm not talking about anybody else, but I'm talking about me. I'm talking about me, right? He was patient with me. And then he showed me this place, and here we are. And when we first walked in this building, I guarantee you, Pastor Nat was like, you did not hear from God. <laughs> and I had to say, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> no, we, that didn't happen. But you know what? God truly opened the door, and it's been miraculous. And we thank God for that. But you see, bias stops us from seeing what God sees. Let me give you a clue of what God sees and what he says from his word. Genesis chapter 3, starting verse 28, says there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are who? All one in Christ Jesus. It goes on to say if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Let's stop right there. Leave that scripture up there for a moment. Most people, most Christians will celebrate this scripture. Yes, we're heirs of the promise of God. We're of the seed of Abraham. We're people of faith. God is calling us out. We're called to do great things. God has blessed us. Yes, God provides for us. And that's all true. That's great. But you must understand the relationship between being an heir of the promise of God and being people of faith and the fact that we're called to remember and live by this principle. That there's no such thing as Jew or Gentile, Christian or non-Christian. Everybody has a place in the kingdom of God. Everyone is welcome into the kingdom of God. See, in God's family, there is no bias. Because everyone needs God. Everyone needs God. Even you and I, Christian. And since this is the case, friends, we cannot choose whom we love based on their background. We cannot choose whom we love and serve based on their skin color, economic status, political views, social standing, gender, ethnicity, agreement or disagreement with our beliefs, and even appearance. Because God wants everyone to be a part of his kingdom. And so... How do we get over these things called bias? How do we get over biases? Because we all have them. And I'm so glad you asked that question because that's actually where I was going with this, right? The first thing I want to propose for us to consider, to actually reflect, to chew on, to let it challenge us and to allow God to propel us forward to do something different. The first point I want to share with you is that we should check for planks. We should check for planks. 
I want you to think about this. Despite his error, I mean, this guy was dead to right wrong, right? He was wrong. Despite his error, we can't truly and fully fault this religious Jewish leader. Why? Because he was acting upon all he knew. He was perceiving what Jesus was saying according to all he knew. He was relating to people according to all he knew. That doesn't make it right, but it does, gives us, it does give us a clue as to how bias is born, how it works. It's what Jesus would call a plank. And I want us to look at the words of Jesus for insight in this regard. Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 1, says this, Do not judge or you will be what? Judged, right? He goes on to say, For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? It's about to get dangerous up in here. <laughs> you know, Christians are most harmful. We're most harmful when we don't address our biases. And I want you to think about this. But Jesus says, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Watch this. He says, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Let's leave that last verse up, verse 5. I want you to notice what the scripture is showing us. There is a direct relationship between the plank and the speck. In other words, if there's no plank, there's no speck. Why would Jesus use this verbiage? Why would he invite us to this this? depth of imagery, and I'll, I'll, I'll submit to you why. Because if you look at this in the original language that this was written, the speck in the original language is a small piece of wood that is an offshoot of a bigger piece of wood. What, what are we talking about here? What does that mean? What it means is that the speck that you see in your brother's eye is only there for you to see because it came from the plank that you carry in your own eye. You getting this? Somebody tell somebody, get over it. We got to get over it. We got to get over it. You see, bias, our judgments, right, what they do is they... They cause us to spatter sawdust upon others. When you have a plank in your eye, when you have bias in your view, defining your perspective, right? Unfortunately, what you're actually doing is this. Of course you're going to see everything with a speck. Of course you're going to find fault in everything. Why? Because you have something in your eye that's marring your vision. 
That makes sense? And so, <laughs> according to Jesus, this is not my opinion. According to Jesus, the, 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 the implication here is that we have a responsibility, friends, to scrutinize our own views. To check our own perspective for bias. Let me ask you a question. How's your eyesight? How are your eyes doing? You know, one of the best ways to begin to address the bias in our own perception for life is to measure our biases against something that's trustworthy. How many of you love the fact that God loves you? Would you agree? Come on, come on, give God some praise. How many of you are grateful that God forgives you? Right? How many of you are so appreciative of the fact that we are blessed of God because of his grace, not because of anything that we do? Right? That's awesome. Now, apply that to the person that you view as your enemy. Look at the people that you have something against. Look at the people. Consider the people that you say, oh, I love you, but no, nah, I'm not loving you. Oh, I'll serve you. Right? Because that's easy. We're doing it as a church. But I would never dare do that on my own. You see, friends, bias is endemic to us all. We all deal with it. And according to the scripture, if God saved us by grace through faith, and it's not a work of our own, then before we consider someone unworthy of our time, before we dare to think, I can't love you or serve you or go there, we must consider that the same God that loves you and I, that extends his grace and mercy to you and I, that saw the best in us when we were at our very worst, is the same God that sees them the same way. So the issue isn't what God says. The issue is we got planks. About four of you are okay with that. The second point I want to propose here this morning for deep, deep reflection, and we have to do something with the truth, is this. It's the point that we must change our channels. Got to tell three people, change your channel. <laughs> Got to change the channel. Change your channel, friend. Change your channel, sweetheart. My brother, change your channel. Come on, you can say that to me too. Go ahead. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. We all need to hear that. So as we already established, this religious leader only acted based on the information that he knew. Hey, let me give you your plank back, brother. <laughs> hey, I got one too. This religious, we already established this, this, religious, this religious leader acted only on the information that he knew, right? And we do the same, but the reason why we do the same is because we adopt fixed mindsets, right? 
we fixate upon thoughts, beliefs, conditions, things that we've grown up with, right? Family dynamics, right? We, we, we pull from all those things. And the thing about it is that those things get stored in our brain, right? I don't want to get too scientific on you, but this, this part of the back of your head is called the amygdala. And this one's always working. And what this one's job is to do is it fixates and it locks in on negative information. The front part of our brains, the cortex, this is how God designed us. This is, the, this is the voice of reason. This is the one that goes, no, but we, we can do this. We should try this. But this part hijacks us, right? And so we fixate on things. But how many of you know a fixed mindset doesn't fix anything? It, it just doesn't fix anything, right? It's subtle, and yet it's constantly at work. Let me give you an example of this. Have you ever seen that car you're like, man, I want that car. You see it in a magazine, you see it in a commercial, and you go, I haven't seen anyone with it. And then you buy it, and everyone has it. Hey, friends, the car was always around you. It was always there. But all of a sudden, we fixate on an idea, on a picture, on a vision, on a thought, on a belief. And it's at that moment that what, we've hold, what we hold on to becomes magnified. So much so that it begins to block our view from what God's trying to show us. From the people we're supposed to love. From the things that we're supposed to do, that we're called to do to advance the kingdom of God. To forgive. To care. To extend ourselves beyond our comfort zones. And so, you see, we have to change the channel that we're tuned to. A great example of this comes from a moment where Jesus was amongst a crowd of people. And all of a sudden, these religious Jewish leaders come with a woman. And they throw her before Jesus. She's on her knees. And they say, Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law tells us that she should be stoned to death for her sin. What do you say we should do? The Bible says that Jesus gets on his knees. And he begins to scribble something in the sand. But that wasn't what he was really doing. He's eye level with her now. He's meeting her on her terms. And he's about to show her the power of God's love. And in this moment, as he's writing in the sand, these men are pressing him, pressing him, pressing him. The law says this, and you know this is the right decision, but what do you say? Come on, prove it. Show us that you're really the son of God. Teach us, oh great teacher. And it says in that moment in the book of John, chapter 8, verse 7, that when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw, to throw a stone at her. Leave that verse up for a moment. Watch what Jesus does in this moment. He brings to the surface what they had working in the background. 
What is he doing? He's bringing to the forefront of their view and their understanding their bias. And at that moment, these law-abiding Jewish leaders who without his input would have stoned this woman and condemned her all begin to drop their stones. Why? Because last time I checked, you and I ain't got it together either. You know what's powerful about this moment? The moment they became aware of the channel that they were tuned to, the moment they became aware of their bias was the beginning of breakthrough. Because while the law said kill her, they couldn't even bring themselves to condemn her anymore. They couldn't. And it was in that moment that Jesus changes her perspective about herself. He says to her, woman, where are your accusers? Are there not any left? And she says, no, Lord, not one. And he says, well, now you go and sin no more. See, friends, we got to change our channel. Because when we change our channel, that's where what God wants to do is possible. That's when we, we can begin to walk where God is calling us to. So the problem with bias is that if it goes unchallenged, if we do not allow ourselves to see a different perspective, friends, it will blind us. It will blind us from what God is showing us about ourselves, and it will also blind us as to where God is leading us and who he's calling us to love. Now, let me just address something amongst Christians, right, amongst Christians. When you think about loving and serving someone, who do you tend to think about? I want you to think about this. Here's the truth. Yes, I'm going to say it. Everybody say this real quick before I even say anything. I love Pastor Jose. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. That, that, that eases my heart. Most Christians, when we think about serving people, we think about serving people that are less fortunate. We think about going into areas where there are people that are just impoverished or have the appearance of some sort of need. There's nothing wrong with that. But friends, Jesus was talking to a Jewish religious leader. What about the businessman? You know, we live in a city where there are some people that complain about all these new people that are coming here. They're not from Newburgh. But they're here now. And we have a choice. We can either reject them and send them to hell, because that's what we're doing by not serving them and loving them. Or we can take the moment and go, how you doing, sir? Hey, man, my name is Jose. How are you, man? Where'd you come from? Tell me your story. Wow. I love what you're doing with your home. Tell me about yourself. Well, you know, I live, I live two blocks down, but, you know, I, I just believe that if we're going to be neighbors, then we should at least have a connection. We should begin to know each other. Can I tell you that that's the beginning of the gospel? See, some Christians got it twisted. We just want to preach at people. All we want to do is just preach. 
But people don't want to hear about Jesus. They want to meet him. And you and I have the responsibility to get off of our high horses, right, to get past our religious activity and to love people and meet them right there where they may be on their knees. And just because they're on their knees doesn't mean that they're impoverished. People with money have problems too. Families that look like they have it all together have problems too. You know why? Because we're all human and we all need Jesus. And so the best way to step outside of our bias is to get on the level of people around us. Because when we get on their level, that doesn't mean that you compromise your morals, your standards. No. We keep those. Right? But we meet people where they are because when we meet people where they are, we can begin to see that their self-destructive behavior is because of something that they're seeing. Some, somewhere that they're hurting. Something that's happening. Right? And listen, we come across people like that everywhere. That person that talks to you about their wife and how bad it is and how, you know, how, how tired they are. Could, could, could you stop for a moment and think about beyond their complaining that annoys you? That maybe they just don't understand what it is to love and to be loved? That maybe what God has done in your marriage and how he restored it for you and how he's been faithful to you is something that you can share with them. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But here's what many people forget. He says, just teach them what I taught you. Teach them how I brought you through. Love them the way I loved you, and I still love you even when you don't deserve it. Y'all all right? The last point I want to leave you with here today is that if it's conditional, it's not love. If it's conditional, it's not love. This man was willing to love his fellow Jew. Because the law told him to. The law instructed him, you are to love your neighbor. You're to love your fellow countrymen. And in his mind, he says, well, I'm doing that. But according to this interaction with Jesus, what we see is that he wasn't even past go. Friends, what good is it to love your children and think that that's loving your neighbor? It is. What, what good is it to put up and serve the people that you're in relationship with, that you feel comfortable with, that you have something in common with? What good is it? You see, love goes to the hurting. Love goes to dark places. I'll prove it to you. The Bible tells us that love holds no record of wrongs. But for love to hold no record of wrongs, it has to be in the right place where everybody else says, I can't touch that. That's love. 
He was doing the bare minimum based on the commands the law set. But friends, that's not love. The Samaritan was unmoved by this hurt man's condition. Yeah. He did not help him based on his ability to pay him back. He didn't, he didn't interrupt his journey or change his plans because somehow he would get recognition for, from someone. Or because he would feel good because he did a good deed today. He didn't do it to prove something to God or to prove something to Christians around him. This Samaritan most likely loved his own enemy. Because the road that he was on, which he didn't belong on, was a road from Jerusalem to Jericho. But you know what the power is in that? That that's our story. I said this last week, and I just want to touch on this point again. We did not belong in God's equation. We didn't fit into the story. But he has made us a part of his story to change the history, the lineage, the lives of people all around us. Friends, would you open your heart? Would you look past your own self-interest? Would you dare to love your neighbor? Would you stop looking at people based on your biases? Would you stop judging people based on something you went through? Would you stop treating people a certain way because they remind you of someone that maybe did you wrong? Friends, they may have done you wrong, but you serve the right God who's called you to the right place at the right time to bring hope, to bring healing, to bring help, to bring restoration. Why not love your city? Why not love your neighbor? Why not love the people around you? And the best way to love without conditions, friends, is to pre-decide to love people before we're ever faced with the decision to love and serve them. That's a mouthful. What are you talking about? You know, love has nothing to do with feeling. Nothing to do with feeling. I wake up every morning next to God's gift to me in the world. But let me tell you, I ain't got butterflies every morning. Just saying the truth. I love you, hon. But you see, the true measure of love is not a feeling. It's a choice to stick it out the whole way through. And love is a mature decision. And love chooses to love before you ever fail me. Before somebody in our community commits a crime, they need to know that they're loved. And when they do mess up, they need to know that God still loves them because you showed up to love them. Yeah, pastor, I know that sounds good, but how do, how do we actually do that? I'll show you. Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ did what? He died for us. Oh, come on, pastor, but that's Jesus. Well, listen to what Jesus said in the context of a night where he was washing the feet of people that would betray him. And one of them who would condemn him to his death. Jesus says this in John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another. Watch this. As I have loved you, I washed your feet, 
knowing that you were going to sell me out for 30 pieces of silver. I washed your feet knowing that you were about, you were going to deny me three times and curse me. I washed your feet knowing that you would run away when you said, I'll never leave you. I'm always going to follow you. I'm always going to be here. I washed your feet then. Not because you deserved it. Not because there were conditions upon my love for you. I washed your feet because I love you. And in this same way that I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's a decision, friend. God's love is much like a hospital emergency room. (laughs) Everyone has a condition. Everyone has some level of hurt, needs some level of attention. Hey, do me a favor real quick. Look to your left, look to your right, look, look behind you, look in front of you, right? And here's what I want you to see. You just witnessed a bunch of conditions, a bunch of issues. There's all levels of hurts, all levels of experiences, all levels of biases. And yet in a hospital room, everyone merits attention. Why? Because that's where the master physician is. And so, friends, let me tell you, this thing we call church is not a social club. It's an emergency room. And we need to operate with urgency because there are people that need to know the love of God. Would you stand with me today as we close? As we close today, we're going to take an inward look. Got to be real honest with God right now. Listen, he knows your heart anyway. I mean, you can't surprise him. He loves us anyway. But we got to take a moment to really look deep within and reflect and even acknowledge our biases. And right here in this holy moment, this is a beginning for change. Because you can't address what you don't acknowledge. You can't pull a plank out unless you finally admit It's there. Today, Lord, we come before you. Full transparency. In need, Lord, of clarity of vision. Clarity for life. Clarity to see. Who's my neighbor? Who's around me? Who needs a light? And Lord, we can't deny the fact that we have biases. And so, Lord, we ask you to forgive us. And Lord, we thank you that even before we make the mistakes, you love us so much that you already forgave us. Thank you for that, Lord. But Lord, here we are now facing a decision a decision for change a decision based on your truth. And today we humbly admit where we are and we choose to turn around. Holy Spirit, you're the one that leads us into all truth. You're the one that shows us things to come. Help us to see our neighbors. 
Help us to look past the imperfections and to see the best in the worst of circumstances. It's the way you saw us. It's the way you see the world. It's the solution for this gospel to become real in the lives of people. Use us mightily, Lord. We thank you for that. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.